Hello and welcome to Making Problems to Solve, the podcast about curiosity, creativity, and problem solving. I'm Dave, and today I'm talking to a vice collector, tool restorer, a drill press fanatic, a footwear influencer, master plumber, <laughs> Lucas D'Angelo. <laughs> Those last two came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just, oh, added, you know, I just added the last one to my repertoire just yesterday. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. just last night. Yeah, but you've been <laughs> selling shoes for a while now. You know, it's so funny. The amount of people that have obviously seen seen that, I have, I have actually yet to see it. Like, I was there and recorded, I assume you're talking about the little brunt ad. Like, I was there and recorded it, but I have yet to actually see it in the wild. Oh, I don't even know there wasn't like a commercial or anything. I just know oh, you, you know you just yeah. You know, that's I'm I some on your <laughs> so this so like a year and a half ago maybe I was over at the Brunt Garage and uh, one of the guys was like, "Oh, hey, can we get you to say like a little thirty second spot or something?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." Um, and I guess that it got turned into like an ad that's on you know Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and. So then people would start to say, oh, I, I saw your thing on the, I saw your thing online. I'm like, what thing are you talking about? Oh, I saw the brunt thing. Brunt thing. I don't really. And then it got to the point where like, I went to sell a vice. We'll tie it all together. I went to sell a vice on Craigslist and I pull up and I get out and the guy's like, oh, you're the boot guy. And I'm like, <laughs> why, why have I not seen this yet? <laughs> That's crazy. Finally, someone sent it to me. And it's just like 15 second clip, you know, <laughs> talking about my bad really ankle. Funny. Yeah. So. Yep. Unofficially official. Cool. That's great. Well, that's, uh, that's good to know that, you know, people, you know, the brunt supports the community and, uh, they do. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> yeah. Uh, appreciate what you do. <laughs> so I always like to go back in history. And so I scrolled back in your Instagram way back to probably like when you were in high school. Mm, yeah. Which wasn't yep. that long ago. Um, okay. All right, Dave. <laughs> No, yeah, no, I'm just in the grand scheme to, of things, yes, correct. Yeah. To a lot of the people that I end up talking <laughs> yeah. to, we're, we're, a, we're a little bit older. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, yes. but I saw they saw the beginning of your uh, your love for heavy machinery. Yep. You remember that picture? Your I don't know. It was a tiny little Lucas next to a bobcat. Yep. Yep. I saw the actual photo is around here somewhere. Like the real four oh, by wow. six is around here somewhere. But yes, that was it. I I have an entire photo album that my mother recently gave me of just pictures of me with heavy equipment when I was a kid. So apparently there was enough to fill, to fill a small photo album with. So wow. it's always been, always remember, been fanatic. Cool. Like where that came from? Did, was there someone in your family who no. you know, had that stuff around? Nope. Nope. Not, not at all really. And I think I have no idea. I really don't, I don't recall where it came from, but it was just always like, I would see something and be just drawn to it. And, uh, I think it might've been, I think, it, I think what really kind of pushed that forward a little bit was both of my grandfathers is like, anytime I'd be visiting them and there was any sort of construction site nearby, we'd go, he, they'd take me, you know, one would take me and we'd go and take pictures or like, they'd put me up on the machines and I think I just was like, I, I think I like this, you know? Oh, that, that makes sense. And I know you're one. Um, grandfather, I saw the picture. He made he built a treehouse. Mm -hmm. That that is and the treehouse, yeah. And then I made the yeah. mini version. Yeah, he. Right. Uh, I I'd, I'd always kind of wanted one, 
and uh, he had some he had a decent little amount of land, and uh, he had a section back section of the property that was called the woods. And uh, I did that in air quotes because it was, you know, maybe a dozen trees, but it was the woods enough, you know. And right. so one uh, one summer, he surprised me with uh, construction of a treehouse. He designed it. He, I think, he even like got the book from um, like Pete Nelson, the treehouse guy, and uh, you know, got the book on it. And he built a he built a damn good treehouse. And I lived up there for so long because, you know, it was when I was like eight or nine, I think. And uh, like it was every time I was there, I'd, the the whole trip, I'd be in the treehouse, you know, reading or drawing or whatever. And so, you know, years passed, decades passed. And I there was the, there was some talk of my grandparents moving out of the house, moving, you know, to a smaller place. And one of the things, you know, he really loved that treehouse as much as I did. And so I figured, well. If I'll give him one less thing to, you know, stress out about the idea of leaving the property and I'll make him a little mini one that he can take with him. So I made him a little treehouse. That's that's super cool. So was he particularly handy? Did he do any kind of Yeah. Like his his background in life was um he was like it was like the Mad Men days. It's like always my impression of it, but he worked for Avon Corporation, which was like the cosmetics and stuff, but he was one of the executives, you know, New York City, go to Tokyo, like that whole that whole thing, but he was a farm boy and he grew up on a farm in Missouri, and so like his background was just, you know, well, we got to fix it, got to make it, got to, you know, and that's what he was good at, you know. So he he was definitely a hobbyist, I would say, um, but he was the person that introduced me to tools and uh, uh, basic woodworking, and that it just went from there. And he was the original Grandpa Man. He was he was that was the name, John Man. And so that's my mother's maiden name. It's my mom's side of the family, and that's my middle name. So that's where Man Made came from. Cool. All right. So it uh, goes back to all the way. Yeah, to it the- does. Yeah grandfather so that's pretty cool yep so was, was there anyone else who was like an influence on you getting into uh building and fixing things yeah um my two uncles on my mom's side of the family uh they are both definitely very handy people um one of them i would just they're both both of them in their in their uh um adventures is you know in woodworking and making and whatnot has definitely been on the hobby side like that's neither of their careers but one of them is certainly much more of a fine woodworker you know hand cut joinery and inlay work and beautiful stuff like that the other one's definitely more like contractor style builds beautiful screen and porches and built-in closets and all that stuff but they were very supportive of it and would always, you know, bring me into the shop and, Hey, let's, uh, I'll show you how to make a pen, you know, turn pens. So here I am turning pens on a lathe that, you know, seven or something. And, uh, they were awesome. And I mean, honestly, that whole, my whole side of the family was just super supportive of it. And, you know, yeah, do you want, you want to get some tools and put them in the basement, you know, and, and tinker with them? Yeah, sure. You want to pick up this, <laughs> this like CPU that's sitting on the sidewalk and cut it up into pieces and, the metal yeah go ahead you know so there was definitely a lot of the yeah go for it you know and even on my father's side um his dad my grandfather was a civil engineer and worked on you know worked on the big dig which that's a that's a throwback now for i feel like a lot of people but 
the big dig. He was uh, he was a part of that, and that's kind of what he did. And he was definitely not so much of a tool guy, but building architectural guy. So both sides of the family, I got a decent amount of uh, support and knowledge in that area, which was nice. Okay. Yeah. And you think, uh, especially, you know, you went grandpa growing up on the farm, he kind of like, you know, learned how to solve problems and, you know, fix things instead mm-hmm. of, you know, buying a new one and that kind of oh, stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, he, uh, you know, I think back to all these, all these little, like all these little projects that we had done over the years. And I think back to, you know, one in particular, I had this idea in my head. I'm like, oh, I want to make a rotating pencil cup holder thing, you know, with like five compartments and I want it to spin and I want it to be all made of wood and I want it to be round. And, you know, I'm like, I don't know, seven, eight or nine or something like that. And, you know, like you and me talking now, describing that, it's like, okay, well, we got to like, we got to like turn apart on the lathe or we got to like do a bent veneer or we got to do something, you know, it's not like just go make something that's round and perfect with all these dividers, you know? And, but I told him that and he was like, okay, yeah, let's make it. And he came up with some really simplistic ways to do it that were going to be not going to use crazy tools or techniques. That was something that, you know, he could do with eight year old me and we did it and it was awesome. And I wish I knew where it was. I'm pretty sure my like third grade teacher has it or something, but okay. (laughs) I don't have it. (laughs) Right. That's interesting. And he didn't just say, oh, you can buy that at the store. They can get a plastic one. (laughs) No, exactly. And that's the reality of it. Just go get a plastic one. He was like, no, yeah, okay, let's build it. You know, and like he went out and find some, he found some really thin veneer and we, you know, cut some circles out with a, with a keyhole saw because, you know, I wasn't, I don't, he didn't have a jigsaw or something like that. Um, You know, we did everything and, you know, he got this thin veneer so we could wrap it around that circle, the top and bottom to kind of make the, make the shape. And, you know, like he came up with all, he came up with ways to do stuff that at the time I was, I don't want to say I was unimpressed because that's not true, but I was, I didn't realize I couldn't appreciate at the time the thought process and like the creativity that he had and just making, making my idea work despite being a relatively complex thing, even for like now, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but I look back on it now and realize, you know, or I look, I, I was able to kind of realize that, you know, when I was a teenager, I'm like, oh, you know, that wasn't just a quick, like, afternoon project. You know, he really, he really put some time into finding the stuff and designing it. And that was always his thing. I think that's why I still, my mom told me this the other day, actually. She's like, hey, you know how you always draw in a notebook and you don't like to make stuff on the computer? I'm like, well, that's because I don't really know how to make stuff on the computer, but go on. And she's like, you know, grandpa always used to do that. No, you know what? You're right. He always like everything was drawn like to scale graph paper, parts lists, cut lists. And I picked that up from him. So that's what I still do. I mean, I'm just getting into like designing in the computer a little bit, but not like most people seem to be. All right. And do you, um, do you remember like things that he told you or, just are things that he did, uh, you know, if you're solving a problem now, does like, you know, memories pop up of different experiences you had back then? It was always just take your time. There was never any sense of urgency or rush. Like, I, I, let me take that back. The sense of urgency makes it sound bad. There was never a sense of like, hey, we need to get this done fast and however we can. It was like, well, let's take the time. 
and think it through and figure it out and do it right. And that's always stuck with me. I mean, there's definitely there are times where I'm aware that I'm like, I'm cutting the line. Like we're just getting this done. But in general, like I, I just take your time. Just don't rush. And that's been huge. I mean, there's definitely been so many times where I could take a shortcut and it's like 80% good or take the time and, you know, take the time. That was it. It's just, he always was a, a fan of being methodical and thinking it through and making the right decisions as opposed to the rash decisions. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know because I think a lot of people who end up going through and like just fixing things and solving problems with what they have at hand or don't necessarily also do that step and take time. Right. They're like, well, this will work. Um, right. I don't know if it's a good solution, but it's a solution it, that'll work for now. Yeah. yeah. If it breaks, we'll fix it again later. <laughs> right. Right. And there, you know, there's, there can be merit to that. I mean, there's definitely instances sure. where you've got a time crunch or what have you, but when possible, I always take the time and think it through. Yeah, that's a really good advice. I'm going to have Sim- to remember that. It's just, um, it's simple, but you know. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I always ask people about shop class. I mean, I don't know if it even matters mm. for you because it sounds like you had enough experience outside of school, but <laughs> did you have a shop class? <laughs> it's This is a good one. No, I never had shop class because the year that I got into high school, my freshman year, they had auto shop, they had wood shop, but freshmen weren't allowed to take it, which I thought was nonsense. But I'm like, okay, I can't wait for this year to be over so I can take it sophomore year. And towards the end of uh, my freshman year, they announced that it would be the last year of Woodshop and the last year Auto Shop. They were shutting them down. Their quote wasn't enough interest or some lame excuse like that. So I was completely deprived of the traditional like high school shop class disastrous experience that I feel like most have, you know, the shop teacher trying to get the kids to do this and that and turning baseball bats and wood exploding off a lathe. I never got to experience that. Um, no, a bunch of, a bunch of people I know, like, you know, that were right before me or, you know, to cut ahead a little bit, a few years after I graduated, when they brought it back, had all those experiences, but we did have shop class in middle school. So like sixth, seventh and eighth grade, we got right. to make either a clock or a CD holder. Okay, that was it. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't make those in my shop class. No. Well, you know, everyone's <laughs> making like everyone's making a CD holder, and no, everyone's like clock. I'm like, I make a clock, and I made a clock, and the clock. I still have it. It's upstairs. The clock is. It's like a. They gave you. They're like, okay, you get 24 inches of one by ten pine. Do whatever you want. You know, like, that's it. The crummiest wood, like, and here's a scroll saw. Figure it out. But I made, it's a, it's like a flat base. And then it has three things attached to it. One of which is a bandsaw. And the the upper, like the upper wheel is the clock. And then there's, of course, a drill press. And then there's like a smaller, like a hammer and saw, like crossed, you know, like, Everyone, all the, the you know trendy hipster woodshop logos. Um, that was that <laughs> yeah. wasn't a dig. That was just a description. But it was like that. That so those three pieces cut out of wood on the on the clock, and that was what I got to make. And then, wow. had, so, yeah, 
<laughs> it was fun. And it was the classic too. One of the, one of the teachers, uh, one of the shop class teachers, you know, loud, gruff and missing three fingers from a table saw accident. It was exactly what you would want, you know, <laughs> teaching kids. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this was before saw stops. That, but that's crazy. Um, so, so you had, uh, you know, the obsession with bandsaws and troll press back in middle school then. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just thought they were cool. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, was we weren't allowed to use those tools. And I'm like, this is this is crazy. Why can't I why can't I use the bandsaw? Why can't I use the table saw? Well, I, mean, I guess there's some pretty good reasons. But, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like, well, I mean, I've used some of these tools in my uncle's shops. Like, why can't I? use them here but um i just i really liked the way they looked i just thought they were cool looking and i thought they were mechanically cool which is really all it is now i just think they're cool looking and i think they're mechanically cool right you know i mean that's it but after um after high school with no shop class i went off to college and i'd originally gone to school for uh video production and i quit because I, I really enjoyed that in high school um and you know, it was, it was, we we're making, we we're making. I used to ride BMX. We were making BMX videos. Um, actually, Zepp and I, you know, when a whole bunch of other, whole group of other friends, um, would go ride and make videos. And so I, I was really into that. And I went to college for it, and quickly found out that uh, having an instructor say, "Make this type of video, this genre, using this equipment." using edit it with this software. It has to be this link really took a lot of the fun out of it for me. You know, it was like, th this is a creative thing and I understand why they're telling you to do it, but it was so brutal. So pretty much freshman year that killed the idea of it for me. And so I just kind of, I started taking tech ed classes because that was the only way at my college, it was the only way that you were allowed to use their wood shop is if you were taking some of the classes for it. And so right. that's what I did. And I ultimately ended up my degree is in business, but my minors in uh, tech ed. So, okay. Fun fact. Tech ed. All right. So you studied a little bit to be a shop teacher then that's like the super duper backup plan. That's my cool. retire. That's I my retirement that's idea. Yeah. I, I think yeah, it'd be I a mean, lot of fun. You, yeah. I think, uh, and you've done some, you know, helping people with their projects in your shop and, mm -hmm. you know, helping people, you know, figure stuff out at maker camp and stuff. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's fun to, it's fun to, I've forever said that I don't think I'm a very good teacher and I've been really trying to be better at it as I, as I age, as time goes on, whatever you want to, but I, I, the, the biggest issue for me with, with like teaching and demonstrating and stuff has always just been, uh, I think it's the same kind of thing that plagues a lot of people is uh just an issue uh with patience and i'm like well i i can do it and i can verbalize it but you're not doing it fast enough and so i've really been trying to like <laughs> get better at that uh because I, I i i would love i would i like to share knowledge and i like to share what i know because why why not you know i i think that everyone should know everything that's a bold statement right. but yeah <laughs> so all right so you you had a love of those tools bandsaw troll press and you know just you know you had oh yeah some experience with them you know your family had you know mm. some sort of workshop right when did you start 
trying to build your own shop? Um, like early, early on. I, so I think, I think 2003, 2002, 2003 was the dawn of my first shop. I'm going to air quotes that too shop. Um, cause it was definitely just like a two by four sheet of pegboard on the wall with like some screwdrivers and my pliers. And, uh, you know, I definitely to take up space and make it look more full. I hung up my dustpan and I hung up my brush separately. Um, <laughs> but you know, but that was kind of when it started. And obviously that was also in a basement. Um, so that was kind of when I started building my first little shop. And in 2003, my grandfather, he came to visit. They came my grandma and grandpa came to visit and he surprised me by bringing a trunk load of lumber and plywood and we built a first workbench together. Oh wow. And so I still have it. It's sitting over there. So I've got the same workbench still, but that was really like the okay, now I feel like I've really got like I've got a little I've got a little place to work, you know, like this is this is happening. And uh, you know, through some some donated tools from my family members and stuff. I kind of started to grow it out a little bit. And uh, of course the, the first, the first major power tool that I had in my shop was a radial arm saw, which is arguably like one of the, one of the more dangerous tools to have. Um, but that sure. was one of my first tools. And I mean, I didn't have a table saw. I didn't have a miter saw. I didn't have a router. I didn't have any of that stuff. And that radial arm saw did all of those things for me. And I even look back now and I'm like, man, I can't believe I did some of those things with it. But that was the beginning of it. And uh, it's just kind of grown since then. I've, I've, from that initial shop, I've moved twice and ended up here. And it's always been in a basement. And believe it or not, someday I dream of not being in a basement. <laughs> sure. I know it's shocking, yeah, you- but... <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to get harder and harder to move the things in and out, right? So if you take them out, (laughs) I mean, now, I mean, (laughs) this shop you have now and the volume of cast iron you have, you don't only want to take that stuff upstairs once. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not like the the amount of people that have been asking me, are you are you going to sell this Bridgeport when you're done? Are you keeping it? I am not. This thing is staying where it is. (laughs) Like the, the effort in bringing a Bridgeport into a basement is not something that I want to relive until it's time to move it into a bigger and better shop on ground level. And then I'll be excited. But until then I just dread the idea of ever having to get it out. Yeah. I can't imagine must have to go into quite a few pieces. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It was quite a lot of pieces and, um, quite, quite a lot of pieces, quite a lot of muscle and quite a lot of, um, expletives. Oh, we're we're involved in moving (laughs) that. Yeah. You have a fresh, a ready supply of those to move heavy equipment. Absolutely. It's part of the kit. Yep. Yeah, should, yeah, that's actually a great idea. Maybe I'll make a sticker or a poster or something about that. I can't <laughs> these are, wait. These are tools for moving heavy equipment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. I'll have to write that down. Um, sure. So I know you are, you've learned, uh, over the years here, how to move these different things. What mm. do you remember what you started with? Like what was the first, uh, yep. thing that was difficult to put in your basement? Yep. Um, the, the first, like the first big tool that I bought myself was a, uh, jet drill press and it was brand new. I bought it brand new in 20, 
2012 or 2013. And that was sort of right at the beginning of me realizing, you know, maybe this old stuff is way better than the new stuff. But I bought this new drill press because I we're moving. I still live with my mom, you know, as in, in college. We're moving and I'm like, well, I got a little bit more room in this basement, so maybe I'll get a drill press. And so that was the first thing I got. Now that comes in pieces, so it wasn't too, too bad to get in there. Although picking up the head and putting it up over the column was awful to do solo. Um, I didn't really know engine cranes existed at that point, evidently. But right. the first thing that was more of the vintage, you know, more in line with what I have now was a... Uh, mid to late 50s delta bandsaw the bandsaw that we all have um and it was the wooden metal gearbox one that was the one i wanted because i wanted one saw that could cut wood and metal in my small shop and so that was that was the first big one and like i drove like an hour and a half to get it and i paid all the money for it at the time um and uh, you know it was it was super exciting you know it was easy we you know the, the place i got it we threw it in the truck with a forklift and then i got it back home and i'm like uh oh this is this is like you know a 6 foot tall bandsaw standing up in the back of the truck and I'm not really sure what to do with this now you know and so i it was like right around the time that a bunch of my friends were getting out of work and i called one or two of them and i'm like hey come over real quick we got to move this thing and they showed up and they'd brought like two or three people from, you know, their friends from work. So there was like six of us unloading this thing and like carrying it. And you know how they're not that big, you know, six people crowding around a bandsaw is like, it's a lot of legs and arms in the way. Yeah. But we like shuffled that thing out of the truck and into the basement. And, and I'm like, man, I hope I don't have to get this out of here anytime soon. You know, so I was there for a few years, but that was the beginning. That was the beginning of the end. <laughs> yeah. And then what, so do you know, like what, um, drill presses, I guess, are one mm. of your big things like yeah. that's what you're known for. <laughs> I know. That is wasn't, it, that was like such an accident. Machine? I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> I don't, I have no idea. Um, sort of, I guess, cause I think it, it's interesting to me in a way because there's so many different ones and it was sort of like, I was like, man, I want to have all these different, I just, I want to have. I I don't know. It's very irrational. At the at the at the high point, I think I had eleven or twelve at once. Um, I'm down to. Uh, I've only got four. <laughs> I've only got I've only got three three assembled ones in the shop right now. Uh, I've got one that's disassembled, and then I've got like three or three more in storage. I think, but we're down from you know, the double digits were in the single digits, but I, I don't know. I think it was just, you know, I got that jet and I was like, this is great. This does a lot of things. And then I thought, you know, I'd like one that runs a little bit slower. That's more geared towards metal. And so I started right. kind of just acquiring things. And you know what? I mean, the big, the big push too was that Unidrill that I got, um, in 2020. Yeah, and that was like, I'd seen one at my friend Freddie's shop. And I was like, I'd never seen one before. And I was like, I got to have one of those. So I looked for one for so long and they just kept, you know, something would come up at auction. It would fall through. And ultimately, Zep found one on Marketplace that was like 10, 15 minutes from me. And it had just been posted, like just been posted. And he, of course, you know, Marketplace King was like, yeah, here, of course. here you go, basically. 
And so I messaged them and, you know, an hour later I had it in my truck and that, you know, that, that whole, uh, really intricate restoration of it really spawned, uh, like there's a lot of cool stuff inside of these things. I think it could be fun to, you know, work on more of them and rebuild more of them and see all the different kinds that are out there. And then I got, you know, 12 of them and went, well, this is, too, <laughs> this is, this is too many. I'm, I'm, I'm now bored with them, you know, <laughs> and now I have all of sure. them. Um, so I, you know, I rebuilt a bunch of them and sold some and gave some to some friends and, you know, and so that was, but I think it was just, there's so many, I, I you know, I had at the time that I had 12, every single one was different. I thought that was really cool. Every single one was, was different, you know, different intended purpose, different design, different decade, different manufacturer. And it's just, you know, I, I think it's interesting to see all those little nuances of how they did things or even how they progressed, you know, if one's from the forties and one from the seventies, I think that's kind of how it started. Okay. That makes sense. It's a little, kind of the opposite of Jimmy with the bandsaws. He just gets like 10 of the same bandsaw. But, right. Uh, I wanted all, like, I want I want different ones. One of every drill press. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I did pretty well. I think I did pretty well. Yeah. In time. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, yeah, you definitely learned a lot. So you learned a lot about how to kind of take them apart. Yeah, and, you know, get them running better and restore it. And you know, you with that unit drill, you did you painted it and everything, mm. right? So you kind of oh yeah, I mean back to yeah factory. That's that's that was what I wanted to do on that one. And I had never I had never like embarked upon such a uh, intricate rebuild or or restoration or whatever you want to call it until that point. Um, not for lack of knowledge or interests i just hadn't found something that i thought i would the, i thought was worthy of me spending my time on until that and there was a lot of points of like i don't really know what i'm doing here or like you know how do i get this out and then it comes out and how, how did i get that out you know i need to know how i got that <laughs> out. i don't even know how i got that out and i have to put it back together but that was a really good learning curve uh for me in the world of you know, the old tool rebuilding and repair, because there was a lot of stuff that I had to fix. There was a lot of stuff that I had to remake or source. Um, and so that was, that was the, I think that was sort of like the, uh, opening of the floodgates for the rebuild repair, uh, passion, passion. Yeah, sure. All right. And do you, do you plan on doing more of those, like collect, either picking up these things and fixing them up, uh, either to, use them yourself or sell or you know, yeah. send them I, on to another maker. I have no plans of stopping. I mean, it's, it's so enjoyable to me. I am, I am loving the absurdly long process of this Bridgeport rebuild. Um, as much as I am feeling very stressed out that I don't have a operational mill in my shop right now. I'm just so used to having one and not having one right now is kind of annoying, but it's pushing me to, stay on it and keep going on the Bridgeport. But yeah, it's fun. And, you know, and it's also in the last year, year, two years, maybe I've started to get, you know, people coming to me for, Hey, you know, can you fix this? Can you make me one of these? Can you, and that's sort of what I wanted. That's, that's what I want. I mean, I want to be able to help other people that are going through similar processes. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have the means to do a lot of the, um, you know, reproduction or repair work. And so 
why not share that ability? Sure. And where did you learn or get the skills to, you know, start building, you know, make remaking parts or fixing parts, you know, with the mill and lathe, et cetera? Well, I totally, I, I say I'm self-taught and I, and I say that because I never had any formal training or never had any formal education on any machining process, any welding process, any of that stuff. Um, it's just been what I've picked up from friends of mine, watching friends do stuff, um, asking questions, you know, I, I had never, my, the extent of my experience with a metal lathe was about 30 seconds in college. And they're like, Hey, this is a metal lathe. And this is, you know, so like that was it really. And, uh, I just knew I wanted one because I knew what you could make with them and just looked really cool. And I found the, what I have one of my lathes now, my small South bend, I found that in a basement and (laughs) obviously, and, uh, brought it home and uh just did like a mechanical rebuild on it left all the decades of patina and paint but um just kind of started using it and you know i went on amazon and ebay and bought you know some cheap import tooling and tool post holder and accessories for it just because you know I, i didn't feel at that point like it was appropriate to spend all the money on nice stuff when I'm like, I'm probably going to ruin half of this just learning, but, right. uh, you know, I just kind of dove in and, and try and fail and try and succeed and fail a little bit more. And, um, uh, you know, I, I'm going to keep plugging him, but Zep was a big help, you know, like, ah, you know, I'm trying to do this and, uh, you know, I'm not really sure if this is the way or if I should try it that way. And he'd be like, yeah, try it that way. That'll work better. And that was also where my first mill came from was my first mill was his first mill and when he was done with it and had like six more because that's a Zep thing. uh, (laughs) He's like, he's like, here's your first mill, um, which was awesome of him. So, you know, I drove down to Long Island and grabbed it and he set me up with some, you know, little bucket of end mills and just said, go for it basically. So um, brought it home and got rid of the ugly green and cleaned it and kind of took it apart and cleaned it and greased it and put some bearings in it and put it back together. And just same thing, just started trying to make stuff. And the first things I made on that was like some of the just chunkiest, like, like old pixelated looking square corners, you know, but I'm like, well, I'm making stuff, you know? So it's just a lot of it was just born out of uh, a combination of necessity. And I really want to learn how to do this. So that's what it still is now. I mean, I don't, a lot of the things that I do, there's a, there's an immense amount of the processes that I do and show that are my first time doing them because I want to learn how, and I want to do it. Okay. Do you remember or have an idea like where, what gave you the idea that, Oh yeah, you can just figure all these things out. Um, you know, that's the confidence that like, I know enough about like what a spinning machine does that I can, you know, go online or read a book or whatever and get a little bit more information and go from there. You know, I, I don't, I don't know where that actually, where that really came from. And I don't know if there's a specific point or person, but I think it's probably stemming from my grandpa and uncles and just the fact that, you know, if I would say, Hey, what's this do? Or, Hey, how do you do this? It was never a, Oh, well, you know, you don't need to know how to do that. Or, oh, uh, well, you're a little too young to try it. It was just a, 
well, this is how you do it. Yeah, let's go do it. Let's try it. You want to you want to try something? You want to do this? You know, in, in their head, probably they'd be like, that's never going to work. But yeah, let's try it. Let's, you know. <laughs> okay. And uh, so I think it was just that sort of, it was always, um, it was always, uh, uh, the just going for it was always supported by, you know, by the family. Just, you want to try something? Try it. Okay. And, uh, cool. you know, obviously some of the stuff can be a little bit more dangerous to just try it. But that was the other thing is... Uh, uh, the whole safety was, you know, safety concept was really drilled into me by, by my, uh, by my family as well. So, you know, glasses and stand aside from a spinning table saw blade and don't, don't drop wood into it. You know, like just the real, real basic stuff was always like ingrained into me from them. So I think just inherently, always trying to be safety conscious and being you know supported in the just go for it attitude just never going away i just just go for it sure right and i think you know that's what everybody does now and that reminds me another uh thing i saw back on your instagram was the lucas industries apron that says yeah we build everything (laughs) or we build anything right anything yeah 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 (laughs) yeah so we have to ask Zepp, like, did he have, um, uh, you know, <laughs> did he have something that his uh, mom make him an apron that said, uh, we know, build we, anything, you know, we build everything. We yeah. Make, we make anything or yeah, <laughs> we make everything. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys had that connection, like, you know, for your whole life, right? Yeah. I didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even, um, I don't remember how old I was when my mom gave me that apron, but my mom just, you know, went to like the craft store and found a blank apron and, wrote that on it and uh in block letters and you know it was like here's an apron for when you're in the shop and so i still have it i still wear it i don't have uh i don't have anything fancy like uh you know there's a million awesome aprons out there i've got my little canvas lucas industries apron but uh yeah that was kind of like uh you know i kind of laughed when she gave it to me i'm like i'm like oh this is really cool but like you know can't build anything right now, you know and now i'm like but i think now, now you know you can i think i could <laughs> probably i could probably work my way through just about anything yeah so um do you have any tips for anybody who is interested in exploring old vintage tools collecting or just finding them to use for themselves uh tips on uh how to find, you know, how to find them and mm. how to make them without that. Um, they're everywhere. Uh, market. I mean, I don't know. You, you know, you always got to the classic things like look at marketplace, look at, uh, look at, you know, Craigslist. I feel like I've been hearing from a lot of people like, Oh, you still use Craigslist. Like who stopped using Craigslist? There's so many good things on there, but look at those places. Auctions. Auctions are great. If you, are you know into gambling and spending you know another twenty two percent in virus premiums? That's always a danger with auctions. Is always getting the end. But um, aside from that, you know, like really simple stuff, like put up a like put up a flyer on the door to the local hardware store or something. Like, do you have old tools? You know, post in a. I've done this a bunch of times. Post in like uh, your your town's Facebook group or something. And say, hey, you know, if anyone's got 
uh, you know, old, old tools or heavy stuff in the basement, or heavy old tools or machines in a basement and you don't want it or you're trying to figure out what to do with it, give me a call. And, you know, I've, I've had some good stuff come from that. I mean, I just got an entire shop uh, a couple of weeks ago that came through a lead like that. And it's a house that I'd driven by thousands of times over, you know, 20 years. And who knew that in the basement of this house that I've driven by a million times was all this stuff, you know, and and even when I'm, even if I'm out driving somewhere and I like, look and I see, Oh, that guy's garage is open. Oh, he's got some stuff in there. You know, if I see, if I, (laughs) if I see that, seriously, if I see that a few times, like more than just once, you know, and I see him out there, I'll stop. You never know. Just, yeah, just go for it. But that's the find it part. And then eventually you'll just become the person that people, you know, call or text or send stuff to. But, um, and once you find it, how do you decide if it's worth your time or not? Uh, when I first started looking at the old stuff and trying to find old stuff, if, uh, you know, I was really kind of more particular about, okay, well, if, if it's totally frozen up with rust, I'm going to pass on it because I don't, I'm not, you know, at the time I'm like, I don't really know if, I don't know if I can get this to work again, or I don't know. Um, you know, as time goes on, I kind of realized it doesn't really matter what condition it's in. And if I think it's cool, I can make it work, but just, uh, I don't know. Just look for all the telltale things. If stuff's dirty, try and scrub it off a little bit. Cause you know, you never know if there's cracks hiding under it. You know, I've definitely had that happen where I brought home, uh, uh, a good size vice. And as I'm cleaning it off, I realized that the tail of it has got a six inch crack through it. Just kind right. of kind of a problem. Not fun. No, it was definitely not fun and definitely made it nowhere near worth what I paid for it. It basically was a scrap value thing at that point. So, you know, you kind of you might get burned a few times, but you know, it's just ask questions too. That's the other thing. Ask questions. Don't be afraid to like take a picture and send it to someone. Send it to me, I'll tell you. Anyone can send me pictures of old tools. I like Go ahead. I love talking shop. So that's out there. Right about here is where Lucas mentioned that I have a Rock Island 574 vice that is has seen better days. And he offered to uh, take it and restore it and fix it up. And he said he offers a loaner vice service. So while he's performing service on your vice, he'll give you a loaner. And then the conversation picks back up here where we talk about why you need a loaner vice that the loaner vice service is a, that's a great idea because if you don't have enough vices in your shop, uh, you know, it'll float away. So you got to keep a minimum number. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, it, it's really important that you maintain the minimum number of vices. Um, especially lately with, with the, uh, water issues, just, you can't take any chances. Yeah. That's, a, I, that's, why I always have the, uh, conflicted, um, if I want it to rain or not, because, um, a drought is not great, but if we get a lot of rain, then my basement looks like Zep shop. So, um, <laughs> oh, it's always been like that. Yeah. I, that's no good. A friend of mine actually has, uh, he has like a aquifer that runs like, like close enough to his home, to his foundation that he's got some crazy French drains going on in his basement. But, uh, enough that if it rains really heavily, he literally has like a little yep. river running down yeah, along the that's wall. A, that's what basically it looks yeah. like here. 
So that's a water yeah, feature. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It would be great if I my shop was above ground, but I wouldn't care, you know. Yeah. <laughs> No. I feel your pain. Yeah, because we had pain. like the boiler replaced, and I'm like, "Hey guys, can you make that higher?" Um, because the other <laughs> one, like seriously, we got in like Hurricane Irene. I had two feet of water in there, and um, you know, so they oh did have God. to they did replace some. They didn't have to replace too many parts in the boiler, but but some electronics and stuff was under. Wow, so. wow. But, um, yeah, but everything else, like my water pump and everything, is like off the ground. So it's a. Uh, and there's yes. no elect there's no electric it's good. It's good. or anything on the ground level. So yeah. very yeah. important. No one thinks about that in yeah. basements. Just uh just us basement yep. people. Well, yeah, well, I wouldn't have thought about it if it wasn't for the the flooding and the temporary lake and everything. It's great. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> moving on to better uh better moves. Do you have any yeah, tips for what's the beginner machine moving tips? Uh, you know, mm. get okay. First, first thing, first thing is, um, get yourself, uh, like a, uh, a Johnson bar, right. um, or a, you know, big metal pry bar. So like I've got, it's like a six or seven foot long, just metal bar. And that, I mean, that thing, it'll move a bridge port. Just, you can do a lot with a metal bar. Um, uh, but if you're really looking to move stuff, get the engine crane. Just get yeah. the engine crane. Save yourself all nonsense and just go to Harbor Freight and buy the engine crane. That thing has moved. You know, if if you don't believe it by now, there's never any convincing you. But the amount of machinery that that's moved between like Zep and myself, and there are definitely others that use engine cranes. But like, I mean, it's on. It's it's got to be like a hundred thousand pounds of stuff that we okay. moved with those things. You can do anything with an engine crane. Right. Try hard enough. And then yeah. go ahead. And then putting it on the, putting it on the truck has been the, uh, that was a game changing move making, doing the modification to it, to, um, you know, to mount it to my trailer hitch on the truck. I saw, this is like a huge point of, this is a big internet point of contention is who did it first. And to that, I say, who cares? Right. But, uh, apparently people care a lot of people care it was Puddin. Puddin did it first whatever that means that's been the comment but i saw i saw chris powell do it first like the first time right. i'd seen it he did it i'm like well that's a great idea i'm gonna do it and that was the only way that i was able to get the bridge port and the radial drill at the same time into the basement pick it up with the engine crane on the, like tow yeah. truck style it worked great excellent yeah that that's a that's an advanced level move um, I probably need, yeah. yeah, but it depends on what, what you're moving, right? It's like yeah. the fire. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Like I, I, the amount of stuff that I've just brought down that I've just moved with, um, you know, a yep. hand truck. That's how I got moved. Everything. A lot of yeah. stuff, drill presses, hand trucks. Yeah. It's great. Drill presses, band saws, hand trucks all day long. Like I'll go up and down stairs with them on a hand truck. I just strap it to the hand truck. Yes, really? Exactly. Well. Yeah. I learned that. That's that's my advice. Yeah. So that's 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 a good move because I probably need to get an engine crane because I have the big printing press. I mo- I can't lift right. any of the pieces. Like that's a that's yeah. a telling sign that you need. And yeah, uh, yeah, that's how right. it is with the Bridgeport. Everything's yeah. heavy. The small Every piece pieces is are heavy. heavy. Yeah, same as your press. Yeah, like there's a piece that's like 
14 inches by 10 inches by four inches yeah. and it's 200 pounds why well it's sold cast know. iron <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, that is why. Correct. But like, but why? Yeah. Because it's we wanted this machine to last for 200 years. It's never, you know, if, you, if it, it was underwater, yeah. you could pull it out and like wipe off the rust and you'd still be metal left. You know, exactly. Well, I mean, how old is your that big is, printing that press? one is from 1920 something like 1929, I think. So. Oh, so it's close to the hundred. Yeah, it it's might close be to 100 close years. to hundred. Close to twenty. I can't remember. I'd have to look it up. But I have one from like eighteen seventy. Yeah, that's cool. I don't have anything. I don't. I don't. I don't have any machines from the eighteen yeah. hundreds. That's yep. really cool. Yeah, yeah, that one is cool. That's the it's the whatever manual treadle operated one, the small one. Yeah, so that one. Yeah, I just was able to move like as one piece. So we just, you know, yeah. got some pipes and just rolled it down the driveway and up the trailer. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pipes, yep. man. You can move anything with pipes. Yeah. Yeah. That's in the other, I mean, yeah. the big printing press, we took that apart in the guy's basement, you know, so it's like, you know, 80 year old man was helping me take this thing apart. Yeah. We had like, we had like <laughs> five guys. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the key. That's the key. That's the other, that's yep. another hot tip for moving stuff out of a basement. Just get right. a whole bunch but of the people. one, the, the smallest, I mean, the piece, the one piece that we couldn't make it any smaller, that was still over, I think it's over 1,200 pounds, 1,200 to 1,500 pounds. Ooh. So that we, like, he yeah. had a, like, block and tackle, and we hooked that up. Yes. To, and we still couldn't move it. We couldn't move it. We had, you know, put, put, it put you know, <laughs> made a, a ramp for it, and we couldn't get it to move. We had, yep. like, you know, three, three or four guys pulling on the rope, so we, he ended up tying the rope. Yeah to his van and just like pulled it up. <laughs> like his yes. That's the best. Yeah. That's so good. Right. And I'm like, okay, nobody stand under this and we're good. Right. It's either, either makes it oh, or it doesn't. Yeah, no. you know? It'll be in smaller pieces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's like, you know, you know this story, but it's the, um, the fly press that you yeah. put on a t-shirt that there was, there was a, that was in a, of course, everything we, everything that we're going to talk about is definitely was in a basement, but that was in a basement with uh the world's worst bulkhead access it was it was these like rickety old wood stairs it was like seven or eight steps up and the worst part was the bottom that first step it was like a 12 inch concrete step to get up over the lip of the foundation to the stairs it was the worst and um you know i've got i've got a come along I can only get my truck so close because I, I I always use my truck as the as the anchor point right. for a come along, and I can only get the tail of my truck so close to where it is. So I'm kind of at a weird angle, and you know we're just kind I'm just kind of cranking this thing up, and the guy whose property it is, he's kind of steering, you know, and Dre is in the basement looking up at this like. I got to get it. I got to get out of here. Like, I, I don't want to be anywhere near this thing. <laughs> Good instinct. You know, and it's going up, it's going, it's going up the ramps and like the boards are all like creaking and cracking. And, and I think to myself, I'm like, I'm like this thing, if this thing, if, if, if these crack and this thing just like hits the ground, whether it's in a basement or whether it just falls, you know, down the, the stairs break and it's sitting in the, the floor of the bulkhead, I'm like, it's never going to move from yeah. like, that's it. That's where it stays. Like, there's no, I, at this point in time, at that moment, I ha- I was like, I have no recourse for this if it goes. But it made it out. 
made it right up to the top. And then I just got in the truck and drove forward a couple feet and pulled it up over the edge. But yeah, it's definitely, that was definitely a don't stand under this. Don't stand anywhere near it moment. Yeah. I guess that's the most important rule for um, uh, moving heavy stuff is yeah. You don't uh, you're not behind it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Stay above it. (laughs) And then you're good. You know, whatever else happens, you know, you're good. Yeah. Cause it will never fall up. Exactly. So that's great. So I noticed that, um, what was that? A couple weeks ago, you were getting into some backyard archeology. span Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I really don't even, I don't even know why, what, like I had the truck in the, in the side yard, I think unloading stuff, obviously. Um, and Dre and I are out there and, like I go to move the truck and she's kind of walking around it and she's like, Oh, what's this? I got a rock. She's like, no, 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 it's not a rock. It's feels like metal. Like, Oh, why would there be metal in the yard? I mean, like a ridiculous question. I realize in retrospect, but like, you know, knowing me, but, um, I'm like, ah, really? You know? So I look down, I'm like, ah, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of like brushing at it. And I stick my, like, I grab my flashlight, which has got a magnet on the back. I stick it. I'm like, well, it's definitely metal. Yeah. You know, and all that's sticking out is like, you know, like a three inch by two inch, like little piece, you know? And, uh, and so this was probably at like six thirty or seven o'clock at night. Right. So still probably got, you know, an easy hour of daylight left and Dre's like, we got to see what it is. And I'm like, yeah, all right. You know, I wasn't like super stoked at the time because I'm like, you know, I don't know how much I want to dig up the middle of the yard here but uh we got into it pretty pretty deep and uh about an hour and change later you know we've got the pickaxe out and the shovels and like the, the pry bar the big johnson bar is out and um you know we've uncovered this basically this like two foot by four foot uh area and what we ultimately decided and kind of agreed upon is that Instead of being anything remotely cool, it was like an old water heater that someone oh, buried. Oh man, that sucks. Which is just, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was such a disappointment. You know, like she's like, "What if it's like a machine, or what if it's a car?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that would be crazy." Like knowing all the other stuff that I've found on this property, it wouldn't have been out of the question. But then again, neither was a water right. heater because for all the cool stuff I found on this property, they also just it, this property used to be a farm. Um. So they just buried trash. That's yeah. just what they did. They're like, we don't need this anymore. And so they just buried this one. They definitely, and they definitely like lugged it out of the basement. Cause it was like, you know, they lugged it out of the basement, made it 10 feet. And we're like, yeah, this is, that's it. This is where it's going. <laughs> Cause it's like 10 feet from the basement door. Like they couldn't have taken it any farther. They're like, yes, yeah, tapped out. That's where, that's where it's going. That makes sense too. Cause it must, it was probably, uh, do you think it was yeah. made out of cast iron or something? Or was it just steel or? You know, it it does kind of look. It's got it's got some of that feel to it, you know, because I, it, anything made of like it's got to have some age to it. But anything that's like modern day steel or what I would consider modern day steel or metal would have been like gone. You know, would have just rotted mm-hmm. into oblivion. And this still had this still had some you know some mass to it. So. I think there's definitely some cast parts. There might've been some, you know, sheet metal parts, but it was, it was a good, it's good quality material. I mean, it's still there and it's not, you know, it's definitely rusty, but it's not like totally rotted. Like I can't stick my finger through it. I was trying with the pickaxe to like punch through it. 
no right. chance. Yeah, so it's real heavy so gauge. Uh, it's got some metal. Oomph. They weren't. Yeah, they weren't trying to make the lightest, cheapest thing. Then they were like, we don't know how thick to make no. this, but we don't want it to break, so we're just going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, but we know how thin right, not yeah. to make it. Like, so, we know. <laughs> that's wild. You were talking about your college when you were going for video production, and you said that they didn't, you know, really give you like a creative a freedom. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, uh, you know, a lot of the people that were going through the program were looking to go into, yeah, into like broadcasting or, um, you know, co- like commercial video. Right. And I guess I didn't really know what I wanted going in. Um, I thought maybe I would figure it out. You know, I really liked doing like the small, well, I guess at the time, what you would classify as like independent film sure. kind of stuff. And um, they were, you know, it wasn't like they were anti that. That's not fair to say, but it seemed like the focus was really on, um, you know, the the more commercial side of it. And so they had no qualms with saying, you know, okay, shoot it this style, shoot it with this equipment, edit it in this style. And I'm in my head, I'm like, where's the fun in that? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't part of this be like, you know, take this, take this little premise, take this little concept and do something with it, make something cool, shoot it however you want, you know? And God, I don't, I don't know. There, this might, this might, there's probably a few people that know this, but um, that know the software. I, I, I haven't, literally not heard of it since college but avid um right was it at i think it was avid must have been at but anyway the video editing software i think it was avid i'd like i like haven't heard of it since i hadn't heard of it before it was garbage at the time i thought to use you know i was using final cut pro 7 which to this day will still be one of my favorite editing suites to ever use but so it was you know and a lot of kids like coming into this um you know freshman year doing this they didn't have any experience with anything like they were going to school because they wanted to learn how to do it so they were in a good spot to basically go in blind and learn something learn something new and you know but i like i went in with this really strong knowledge of one program and they were so anti-final cut it was crazy they were like you can't use it how about premiere no you have to use avid and if they like caught you editing and anything else, they'd be like, no, that's wild. Delete it. <laughs> so like, it was just, you know, it was easy to, um, get discouraged. I felt, uh, the one cool thing that I got to do was, um, it was a, I don't remember what it was. It was some sort of like mini little film festival thing or something, but, um, you know, this kid that I had some classes with said, Hey, do you want to, um, want to want to do this little documentary together i said yeah sure you know i said what what's what's the gist of it what are we doing and he's like oh you know it's this uh it's the the but trainer at my boxing gym and he's like this old you know seasoned fighter and i'm like okay i'm like it sounds like a movie but let's do it you know and he said i'll film it and then you do all the post-production and i said okay that's fine i didn't want to drive three hours to film it um, so he filmed it and he dumped all, you know, gave me all the footage and dumped it on me. And it was like, it was such bad stuff to work with. It was like the, it was, I don't know what he'd done to the camera settings, but it was like, it was shot 
in like sepia tone. Oh, it, like everything was like super warm and like su- oh, it was like, it was it was like a color grading nightmare and the audio was bad. But we got it to you know I was a, we we worked it together and you know I I color graded and like made it into something that came out. I think it came out good, and uh, and it won some one of one of the little awards at the little film festival and that was kind of one of the cool things that I did get to do was actually make something that wasn't, that didn't seem commercialized or, you know, um, scripted or anything, you know, but make something that was my style of, of video of film and, uh, and it won something. So that was cool. That is, that's, that's super cool. Uh, do you, I, I don't even know. I should check, but do you have YouTube? <laughs> do you have a YouTube uh, channel? You I do. I am uh, I am attempting to have a YouTube. Yes. Okay. I, I'm a budding YouTuber. Like I've had a YouTube account for a while, and there's videos on there. Um, and I, you know, I my goal was, I don't even want to say what it was. My uh, my 2023 goal, I have not yet met that goal. I'll put it that way. Sure. <laughs> but I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I just I gave up on YouTube because, you know, there's just you know I just have limited time. I you know I enjoy. Yeah, videos yeah. and stuff, but you know, you, at a certain point, you got to focus on, uh, you know, figure out what you what the priorities are. Yes, yes, totally, and it it is it is tough. I mean, you know, I, even just like a week ago, I kind of like gave myself like a mental reset of okay, just you gotta you gotta just do it, you know. So I primarily I would film or historically I would film on my DSLR which like this MacBook is old right. and it's uh it, it works fine. It shoots at 1080 HD video 24 frames a second and that's it. No other options like no fancy. That's it. And uh the worst part about it is that it's got like a 10 or 12 minute um time limit on recording oh, right. because this was like one of the early cameras like pro cameras that had video in a dslr it's a 5d mark ii and which i want to say came out in like 2009 2010 or something but that's wildly annoying having a time limit when you're recording so that was like a wicked turnoff for me of for like oh well it's like a pain to to film you know long form stuff um so my new thing my new thing is just grab the gopro the gopro has the frog pot on it slap it up just film right just film, just do something, film something, make it into something. So like I got all my GoPro stuff, I gathered it up, I put it in a little, like a little baby, little Pelican case. So it's all in one place. I, that Pelican case lives in one place in the shop. So like, I always know now, you know, this has been like the last three weeks I've been doing this. I know that, okay, the GoPro's here. There's charged batteries right here. I can grab it. I can use, you know, just stick it up and film. And so it's definitely going to be more of the, uh, you know, like the time lapse style. But uh, as many have said, it's better than nothing. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. Just do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. What does Jimmy always say? Just start. Yeah. Just start. Yeah, yeah. And you see, like, figure out like what your style is, you know, because you know, yeah, thinking, you know, go back to your <laughs> your friend uh, Chris Zepp, You know, he's. He pretty much makes yeah, either yeah. like those review videos or, you know, pretty, you know, straightforward instructional videos and seems to, you know, right. works good for him. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and that's, you know, when we were just saying a few minutes ago, like 
you know, it's, it's time, it's priorities. I was almost going to say, I really still don't know how he does it. And I don't like, I say, I, I know how he, I, he does it. We all know, but like, it doesn't always make sense. It's, 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 it's very impressive considering the life that I live and the fact that I feel that I am busy all the time. And even knowing that I am busy all the time, but I am like nowhere near as busy as that no, dude is. Yeah, definitely. He's the busiest. It's, it's crazy. Maker. The yeah, busiest as far as I can tell, yeah. that exists. <laughs> that exists. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. So you met him pretty much like probably like before there, you guys were in the maker community. Is that right? Yeah, it didn't really. There like wasn't. I don't know. Maybe there was, but like, if there was, we didn't know about yeah. it. Um, no, I think I think we met in two thousand nine uh, when he was in school in Boston, right. and uh, we met at uh, we met because of BMX, and um, you know, we just became friends. And as a lot of our other friends in that BMX world, you know, like grew up and uh, moved up and on. And out of you know BMX and into regular life, whatever you want to yeah. call it, uh, you know we both did too. Like he moved back to Long Island and uh, and all that, but like we both we both had always liked tools and making stuff and all that kind of stuff. So like you know he really started getting into it uh, online. It you know his he really started his online presence with that. And, uh, like I was doing stuff, but like, it wasn't, I wasn't doing it online. Um, you know, so kind of seeing his growth was always an inspiration to like, well, let's do it. You know, like, why, why don't I try it? You know, why don't I try and post some stuff when I, and, uh, you know, it's, it's worked out pretty well, but yeah, we didn't, we didn't know of the, uh, the community as it was, as it were until probably like. 16 i want to say like 2016 or so okay yeah that's pretty much like that. when i kind of started randomly discover these people obviously yeah. I think that's yeah kind of like a turning point of where more of it was coming out you know uh you know mythbusters was over and you know, people are looking for other yes. things and um yes <laughs> so um i'm curious because i think i originally met you and made for makers like the first made for makers and then yeah, the it was uh, yeah we met at the I think it was the same hammer and you were referencing earlier where you met Keith. No, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, we we had no? that was after like because and then you guys were on Clubhouse and stuff, so that was I think definitely we met Clubhouse. Online yeah, first I mean, that, as virtual friends. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yes, and then face to face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, but so so that's interesting. So Chris was probably one of your inspirations for kind of sharing stuff. Uh, you know, your interest in tools yeah. and making things online before. So you weren't like inspired by seeing a Jimmy Duresta video or anything or. <laughs> no, I, f I f feel weird saying that. No, no but I, I'm always curious. <laughs> I feel like yeah. It's like the right passage, but, but yeah, no, I, I, um, I didn't know of him until. Oh, I don't, I don't know the year, but, but I definitely found him after some others like, and I found him through Zep just because, you know, Zep's like, oh, my friend Jimmy, this, that. Makes sense. Okay, Jimmy. Okay. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> this guy. Yeah. All right. And so what was the hammering, like, one of the first things you went to? Did you go to the first maker camp? No. Um, no, the, that hammering, which was, like, the May of 2021, right. 
that hammer in was the first um like really the first maker event the first blackthorn experience uh etc you know um i there was definitely some uh, some different life circumstances prior to that that uh i wasn't really able to get to um events that i was interested in going to or whatever you know like and i also um i was also a little bit more in the like like construction industry trade right. um so like i you know i'd gone to like construction trade shows like there's one in in rhode island every year that i go to and um so i was i was definitely a little bit more involved in that uh more so than the maker stuff. Um, I'd wanted to go, but like stuff, you know, just didn't know. It just never seemed to work out like timing wise or location or whatever. So that may hammer in was the first one that I was totally able to like, I, like I got nothing going on. Like I know I can go like I'm going. And uh, that was the biggest uh, like opening of doors for me into the community as it is now. Oh, that's pretty cool. Had you been to, yeah. had you met Jimmy and been to his shop and stuff nope. before that? No. Oh, okay. Oh, and show like, nope. you know, somehow nope. that was my first. No, like that was the first time I'd ever been to the, uh, the East Durham, greater East Durham area. Right. Um, you know, like I'd been to Zepp shop mm-hmm. and, you know, we'd, we'd like, I'd been around like that. And, uh, you know, and Zepp had said, you know, come up sometime come up come up come up and hang out you know like to east durham yeah and but again it just timing didn't work out circumstances didn't work out but uh so that was that was the first time i had gone up there that was the first time i met everybody except for zep obviously knew him but like that was the first time i met everyone else in person okay and uh and now it's like i feel like east durham is is like uh you know our home away from home yeah so 2021 was your first maker camp then the second yeah. annual one. So yep. you were like actually hanging out the total total ball tent doing Yes. Uh yeah, on the lathe, lathe, right? Yeah, wow. That's <laughs> yeah, that's really went... interesting. So you never had been, you know, you hadn't like met them and kind of, you know, became part of that community or anything. And somehow you ended up maker camp being a, doing demonstrations the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was well. Thank I. I totally. I'm totally going to thank Dre for that. I. I didn't know the Total Boat people, um, at all until I met Dre and she introduced me. Um, you know, that's obviously her. Uh, those are, you know, that's like her Total Boat family, right? But um, you know, she introduced me and uh, just kind of in conversation about Dre doing demonstrations up there. Um, you know, kind of the the discussion and the opportunity arose. And, you know, there was, there was a new, um, there was a product that they were bringing to market at the time that was, uh, like a turning, uh, a resin, um, different from what they'd been making. It was more geared towards turning. Okay. Uh, and they, so they wanted to kind of demo out the idea of like, Hey, you can turn epoxy in the lathe and make really cool stuff. And, and, uh, they, they were graciously, uh, you know, uh, allowed me to, be that person to kind of demo it and try it. And I appreciated it because I thought it was, I thought it was a really great opportunity to just get out there and, and be a part of something and do something. And I had, we had a blast, um, you know, the next year, obviously I got a little bit more into my, my realm, right. Doing the welding construction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, but 
Cool. That's a that's a really amazing uh, story, and I like you know hearing like so many different ways that people discover the maker community. It's pretty pretty amazing, you know mm-hmm. that you know because yeah. it seems like you know you've always been part of like all these Northeast makers and stuff, but just being proximate to it, total like being in New England and having yeah. <laughs> That opportunity. Yeah, we all get lumped in. It's yeah. just it's just assumed. Oh, Yo, you've always been there, right. you know. But yeah, I mean, uh, it really, I really wasn't. Um, I w- I really wasn't a part of. I I, w- I wouldn't consider myself having been part of the maker community until like nineteen twenty twenty two thousand twenty maybe right. is you know a little bit before that. But like you know, like I said, it was a lot more. Uh, you know, for for that community that exists on Instagram and the maker community, there is as everyone knows, there's communities of all types of all interests all over, but there is an equal, if not even bigger community of uh, like trade professionals, construction contractors. And that was kind of where like, that was, that was where I was at on Instagram. And that's, you know, that was the network that I was in. And, you know, cause that's part of my day. That's, you know, that's kind of my day job. Part of my day job is I am a general contractor. And so that was sort of the world that I was in until I found out, you know, until I found out how, how deep the maker community went and how many people there were and how awesome it was that, you know, it wasn't just like a couple of accounts on there. It's like a whole world. Right. Yeah, it is. It's pretty wild. So that's cool. I'm glad mm-hmm. you're able to discover that because uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, Cause it's definitely, it's a different type of, you know, just the way uh, people think about things, you know, cause, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, more of the creative kind of just you know curiosity and and learning new things and you know that's definitely you know going and buying a lathe and then figuring out how it works afterwards. You know, yes, it's not, you know, <laughs> yes, that's the yeah, yeah. Get first, figure it out second. Right. Well, I mean, I I never I I never cease to be flat out amazed by what I see coming out of this community every day, like from from people that are known for doing really amazing stuff to people that I've never seen or heard of them before and they come out and their first you know their first post is something mind blowing yeah. like that's <laughs> the beauty of it is there is there is all skill sets all skill levels and everything is uh you know is is positive granted there's going to be negative stuff on everywhere always but in this community really like it's fantastic that it just is out. Any negativity is really just overshadowed almost immediately by the uh, the support and the positivity and the compassion. I mean, go to Maker Camp. Yep. Look at go to Maker Camp and just observe. Everyone's stoked. Everyone's supportive. Everyone's teaching someone else how to do something. It's not like you know, oh well, I know how to do this, and only I know how to do this. Right. You know, sucks to be you. It's not like that at yeah, all. Yeah, that's incredible. It's the exact opposite, right? Because the whole point of right. Maker Camp is to you know not have any gatekeepers and to invite people in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As Austin puts up a fence. Right. Yes. Well, yes. I mean, we're invite people in. They gotta get a ticket. As long as they buy a ticket. ticket. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You want to come have fun? Buy a ticket. Yeah. The, all <laughs> those tents and you know all the electricity and everything that's expensive. It ain't free. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And like, as, as we know, as, as Dre and I have been up there more and more often and become, you know, more and more, uh, uh, you know, closer and closer friends with Austin and that whole Blackthorn, uh, 
I don't know, compound, right. whatever the heck you want to yeah. call it. There, there is, there is so much more that goes on and that on that hundred acres oh, yeah, than like anyone realizes, you know, like to all of us, Blackthorn, oh, it's Maker Camp. That's where Maker Camp yep. is. And like, that is just like a little postage stamp in like the massive, uh, uh, city that is, that is that, that Blackthorn resort. So like, there's so much more going on. So buy the ticket. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know? all that other stuff that they do, every other event, all that supports like making Maker Camp possible because there's no way exactly if, without having that facility and that, you know, there that. Yeah. We would and be it's able just in. It. Right. And 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 Austin's passion for it. It's just it keeps growing. I mean, he just keeps he keeps improving on it every year. New facilities, new opportunities. It's incredible that this kid is so passionate and like put together, uh, you know, with making all this happen. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's definitely, it's a very special. We're very lucky to have them. We really are. Yeah. All right. Uh, I want to take a minute to thank the other folks, uh, who make things happen. The patrons who help support the show, uh, let's take my top tier patrons, uh, Matt from Artigiano Serio. Ed Johns, who else is on my list here? Brian Callahan and Sean Beckner. Uh, thank everybody who supports the show. At, uh, you can go if you're interested in uh, checking out uh, what you can do to help the show. You can go to Patreon.com/slash/MakingProblemsToSolve. Uh, where can everybody find your stuff, uh, Lucas? Uh, man made. That's man with two N's. M A N N made in ma for massachusetts uh that you can find me under that uh username under that handle just about anywhere um instagram youtube there is a tiktok it's not not a lot on it but it's there <laughs> um find me there uh even on clubhouse i'll i'll plug clubhouse it's still a thing it's still out there for all you doubters it's we uh clubhouse is still a great a great platform to uh, talk and share knowledge and ask questions and learn. And so we're uh, on there too. Of course, clubhouse, it's all just by name. So Lucas D'Angelo. Yep. But yeah. And if, yeah, that's uh, and find us at the Blackthorn. Yes. Also. Yep. Yeah. Almost any time. <laughs> if you look. Though, <laughs> yeah. 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 Phys- yes. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there, there'll be a maker there sometime, you know, almost every. Oh yeah. Without question. Yes. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot. And uh, thanks for talking to me today. Thank you, Dave. This was a lot of fun. You know, uh, I got a lot of love for you and I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I think we'll see you, what, in another month and a half or so, Timberin? Yeah, it should be. Should be there. Perfect. Great. Looking forward to it. Thanks.